Welcome to the New England Football Show presented by Mortgage Right. I'm your host, John Serenitas, and as always, I'm joined by my partners, Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin. We do not have a guest tonight, so you're stuck with us for the next 40, 45 minutes. But, gentlemen, how are you this evening? Good, good. Good, good. It's uh, creeping into football season a little bit. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, it's it's when, when we say creeping into football season, we're talking the regular season, of course, we – we do football year-round, but as you said, Kevin, just before we went live, Patriots start OTAs this week. Media is going to have availability on Thursday. They've been in OTAs, but this is going to be the media's first opportunity to cover the team. So it will be nice to cover some real football, if you will, other than off-season stuff. Now, before we get started, of course, I do want to remind you that we are presented by Mortgage Right. Make sure that you give our good friend Herb Devine a call at 781-254-2846 if you have any questions about the current industry, the current mortgage industry, rates, any programs that are out there. If you're a first-time home buyer, you can also email him at situate.mortgageright.com. Units email available anytime, including nights and weekends, to answer any questions you might have. We are entering the tail end of May, but the real estate market is at its peak right now. There's still a lot of inventory out there, still a lot of properties out there. With over 25 years of experience, Herb and his team are ready to assist you in any facet of the mortgage and lending process. Again, give them a call today at 781-254-2846, or you can email them at situate.mortgageright.com. Do it today. All right, gentlemen, as I mentioned, Patriots OTAs continue this week. Thursday will be the first day that the media has access to practice. It'll be our first look at the 2023 Patriots, and I want to start there. I want to start with three things that you have to look forward to, to not just OTAs, but with mandatory minicamp coming up around the corner in a couple weeks. What are three things you're looking towards the rest of this offseason when it comes to the Patriots and and what we're going to see from them? I'm looking forward to, I guess if you had to pick three, I'm looking for the quarterback play, and that includes uh, Zappi see how he's progressed as well um, because it felt like it was through the quarterback play that a lot of people were able to sort of detect the problems early last year. So you get a sense of maybe how it might be better or worse, what have you. I don't think it can get worse. But um, them, I, I also want to see if a wide receiver other than um, Smith-Schuster uh, steps up a little bit, like if, the, if somebody else can sort of take the reins a little bit and make plays. And I also want to see the corners and, and Gonzalez. Uh, I mean, expectations are pretty high for him. So I'd like to see that. Yeah. So actually uh, I did five today on uh, the living football journal.com and head there and check it out. But uh, for me, it starts with the offensive line. Um, this team doesn't do anything without Mac Wright being upright. So uh, it starts up front. Um, Adrian Clem is obviously a big addition for them just in terms of having an adult in the room who knows the position and um, ideally can get something out of this group who we really don't know anything about aside from say David Andrews and, and Mike on Wenu. So um, it all starts up there, obviously um, it sounds weird, but kicker, this team relies on its kicker a lot. Uh, Nick Folk is not a spring chicken. Um, you just signed his name's completely escaped me right now. Chad Ryland, who yes. they drafted out of Maryland. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and so I think he's ultimately going to be your guy. Um, and same thing, really just special teams in general. Uh, punting and kicking is going to be huge this year, especially if the offense isn't still good enough 
to produce points. And then, um, again, Adam, I'm with you, receiver. Um, you need more there. You just need you need guys to step up and ultimately become playmakers. You can't just rely on Devontae Parker and Juju, um, just those two really. So uh, particularly Kendrick Bourne, I, I want to see him do more in this offense. Every time he touches the ball the last two years, he's productive. So uh, those are probably my big three. Yeah, for me, I, I want to see what the offense is going to look like and what's Mac Jones going to look like in that offense. So I'm curious to see some of the some of the subtle differences we're gonna we're gonna see. Now I don't know how much we're going to see in terms of the offense, or I don't know how much they're gonna put out there. It's still a little early for that, but I do think there'll be little things that you'll be able to pick up there that you're gonna notice that I think are gonna be a difference from last year. If nothing else, you got to figure from an operational standpoint, the offense will just run better. So I'm curious to see what the offense looks like, and I'm curious to see what Mac Jones looks like. Within the, within the offense. The second thing for me is I want to see these young cornerbacks get acclimated to playing in the secondary in the NFL. I want to see Christian Gonzalez. I want to see Speed. I want to see Bolden. I want to see these guys get some early reps. And I want to see what that back seven looks like because they the, the Patriots in many ways revamped the secondary this offseason. You do lose Devin McCourty to retirement. They did resign Jonathan Jones. They did bring back Jalen Mills. You do draft Gonzalez in the first round, so there's a couple of new faces on the back end. But I want to see how they mesh with what is a very good front seven, one of the best in the league, in my opinion. So I want to see how the defense looks in totality. And I think the third thing for me is the rookies in general. I want to see what they're going to get out of these guys. Gonzalez has to be a day-one starter for you at Boundary Corner. Uh, Keon White has to step up and, and step in, rather, and make an impact for you as a rookie, even if it's just in sub-packages. He's the guy that's got to play meaningful snaps for you right out of the gate. Mop, who's another guy that I think is probably going to have a bigger role in this defense than people think, especially with the fact that Kyle Duggar is a free agent after next season. He's probably going to get more snaps than we think because he's going to have to get those reps because he might be the guy if they can't re-sign Duggar after next season. And the two six-round receivers, Kayshawn Boutte, and Demario Douglas, I'm curious to see what they look like as well. For me, I think those are two guys that could surprise. You guys talk about the receiver position. You know what you have in Smith-Schuster. You know what you have in Parker. You know what you have in Bourne. After that, though, it's kind of a crapshoot. This is a big year for Tyquan Thornton. He needs to step up and prove that he could be that impact big play receiver that they spent the second-round pick on in 2022. But I also think there's going to be opportunities there for Boutte and Douglas to play some snaps and make an impact. So I'm curious to see what they look like early on. Of course, we're going to get a much broader look at them in this entire rookie class as we go into mandatory minicamp next month and training camp at the end of July. But for me, I want to see what those guys look like early on. This is a big rookie class for them. We talked about this throughout the draft, that they need to get a lot out of this class. It's hard to believe that when you go back and look at the Patriots, nobody is left in that 2019 class after they cut Yodney Kajust at the end of last week, which is hard to believe that they literally, outside of Jake Bailey for two seasons and Damian Harris for two seasons, they got nothing out of that class. The 2017 class only took four players. Surprisingly enough, they got more out of that class than they did 2019. Dietrich Wise is still with the team, and they brought Connor McDermott back. So they didn't get a lot out of the, that four-year window there from 2017 to 2020. They need to get a lot out of this class, so I'm curious to see what they look like. Now, 
Give me the name of one player that you're interested in seeing the rest of this spring and going into camp. The, the one guy that you want to see. I have a funny feeling we may all say the same guy. Yeah, I, for me, it's Keishon Booty. Oh, um, no, we're not going to say the okay. same guy. <laughs> because um, I just feel like there's so much potential there. If you could just sort of bottle it and get the most out of it, and the, I think he could make the team. Now, I mean, I saw him a lot at LSU. He's a good player. He's so good after the catch. I think where he's best at, like throwing him a slant or something that he takes takes to the house. He's. I think he's a really good player when he wants to be. Again, there were like questions about him out of LSU. Is, you know, uh, you know, was he coachable? All this stuff. But I feel like if he can unlock his potential, he could be a real player. And he's at, at a position where they they sort of need playmakers. Uh, I think the easy answer is Gonzalez, but uh, I'm going to go with Kaseki. I just think if you have that big of a red zone target, not only are you helping Hunter Henry, you know, get open as well, but um, it's just it's another weapon for Mac in a place where they struggled really badly, um, especially last year. It was ugly down there. So uh, I'm really curious to see how they use him in the red zone, especially down uh, near the goal line. Again, if you have a big target, um, it can change a lot for them. Yeah, for me, it's Mac. I mean, it's been another tumultuous offseason with him. Speculation as to whether or not he's the guy, whether or not Belichick wants him around. Even after Bill O'Brien was hired, there was still some talk that they might have been shopping him and they might be looking to trade him. Belichick squelched a lot of that in his uh, day two post-draft presser where he said that he absolutely still views Mac the same way he did last summer. All of that being said, this is a big year for him. If he is going to be your franchise quarterback, this is the year where that comes to fruition. If he doesn't play at that level or something that resembles a franchise quarterback level, he's not your guy in a year from now. We're going to be talking about someone else as the Patriots starter. So, for me, this is a, a, a big spring for Mac Jones. By all accounts, he's looked good. He's had a good offseason. His teammates have been applauding his effort, his leadership. Um, he seems to be all in on Bill O'Brien in this offense, which is going to, my guess, is going to be what they used to run, but with some, some new wrinkles, maybe some RPO stuff, which I know everybody around here in the media loves RPOs and talking about RPOs so that they can – they can get their rocks off on RPOs. But the truth is, Mac is going to be under the microscope, not just this spring, but this summer as well. This is a big year for him. That's well documented. We all know that. And I think a lot of people are going to be looking to see just how much he's improved and what he's going to look like playing for Bill O'Brien. And look, I, I'm bullish on Mac. I think he turns it around. I think he's going to have a really good year for them. I'm going to say that throughout the rest of this spring and summer. I'm going to talk about it a lot because I believe in O'Brien and I believe in what they're going to do on offense. And I think that's going to help Mac Jones. But to me, he's going to be the one player that I think is going to be under the microscope more than anyone else. Because again, he's the quarterback, which comes with the territory. But also when you think about how much he was scrutinized this off season, it's, it's going to, it's going to be, he's going to be, I should say the one guy that people are going to immediately look to, to see if he's improved this off season coming off of a tough, second year in the league. And of course, with the Celtics crapping their pants against Miami, we're going to probably be talking about the Patriots a lot sooner than some of us had anticipated. Red Sox aren't going anywhere. They suck. So 
the the you know Mac Jones and the Mac Jones talk and the scrutiny of Mac Jones is probably going to start a little sooner than we thought. Yeah, um, with Mac, um, I still believe he's a good quarterback. I just feel like when you go through a season like last season, it can take a lot out of you. It can really sap your confidence. I don't think he's got a crisis in confidence at all, but you know, you, you just don't want last year to carry over into this one. Um, so, you know, I think, a, you know, a lot of this is, you know, faith in Bill O'Brien, you know, that Bill O'Brien will come here, he'll cure what ails him, and he'll just, you know, fix the offense. I don't think it's to be that simple, but I do feel like there, a lot of expectations are being put on Bill O'Brien, and, you know, it's it, the, it, the offense, I think, will – We'll just help having a guy who knows offense, who has coached offense before, who's an old veteran at this. I think that that'll really help. So um, I, I think I think Mac will have a good year, you know, um, and and a, and a lot of it's going to depend how, how how he meshes with O'Brien. Yeah, just to both those points. Look, I wrote this today. That I think they're going to be better offensively than people think. When you look at the weapons they have. And not even just weapons, if you if you know you don't like the terminology, but they have a good running back in Ramondre Stevenson. They have good receivers. They have speed at that position now that really they haven't had maybe in my lifetime. Um, so I think they're going to be better, and I ultimately think um, Bill O'Brien gets Mac back to his you know kind of spot where he was uh, rookie his rookie year. But um, do you guys put any stock in the whole you know he's happy right now thing? It doesn't really matter, does it? No, it matters. I think it matters. The offseason, in terms of player confidence and development, is everything. And, and I, I definitely think it matters. I think if if he feels good about what they've installed, if he's comfortable with what they've installed, if he's comfortable with the terminology. Look, one thing we can all say about Mac, and if you're around the team, I think you see it, and you're up there all the time, Kevin, and you've seen it. I don't think it's that his teammates don't like him. I think he's pretty popular in the locker room. I think – I think he's on solid footing with his teammates. And so when you hear reports that he's more confident, that that he's had a good offseason, that he's excited about what they're doing, I, I take it at, at, at face value. I think there's some truth to it. I, I genuinely believe he is happy. I genuinely believe that he is excited for the upcoming season. I mean, again, look, he didn't handle last season well. He's obviously got some growing up to do. He's immature. He was put in a tough spot, though. And we all agree with that, right? I mean, last season, I think if you put a veteran quarterback in that spot, it's tough on them, let alone a second-year guy. But I genuinely think, I think that despite some of the talk of Bill Belichick not being happy with him and the, and the possibility of him being traded, despite all of that, I, I do genuinely believe that he's had a good offseason. I think he is happy. I, I, th I think he believes he can be the quarterback in this team, and I think he wants to give it a shot. You know, I hear it, and I only ask because, you know, we hear that he's being a good leader now. Well, what about last year? And I know you just said, um, you know, it was a bad spot and all that, but is that something you could just kind of flip the switch with? I don't know if it is. In terms of leadership, I'm saying. Um, no, I don't think it's that at all. I think, for me, I think it's, I think he's always had that. I think you, you would hope he looked back on last year and realized he was yeah. being a baby. Yeah. And that he was being immature and that he wasn't exhibiting 
good leadership qualities. I, I, I you hope that that's where he's grown, right? Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, again, yeah. the short amount of time that I was around him last year and and seeing him interact with his teammates, you can tell he's popular. You can tell that his guys will play for him, and I think he can lead them. The question is, did he grow up this offseason? And and is some of that maturation due to the fact that O'Brien is there now? who's going to be no-nonsense. He's not going to take his shit. He's going to be more no-nonsense. Do you think that that will help him grow up a little bit? I, I would hope so. Yeah, and real quick, too, how many times did we both hear him say, you know, last year, I want to be coached harder? You're not going to find a coach that's going to coach you harder than O'Brien. So we'll know pretty quickly. And, again, we won't see much the next three weeks in terms of actual, you know, on-field product. But I think we'll be able to tell a lot just between – you know, the interaction and stuff like that. So um, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, careful what you wish for him, getting coached harder thing. I mean, to your point, O'Brien will coach him hard. But, you know, you, you want to get coached harder, and that's great. You better develop some thick skin, though, because there's going to be there's going to be times on the field, in the meeting room, uh, in the locker room, behind the scenes, where you're going to not only get coached hard, but you're going to be criticized. Does Mac have thick enough skin to handle that. Do I think he, he does? He probably does. He's hard on himself, but again, be careful what you wish for. You wanted to be coached harder. Well, to your point, Kevin, he's not going to be coached much harder than Bill O'Brien. O'Brien will coach him hard. You are watching slash listening to the new England football show presented by mortgage, right? I'm your host, John Serenitas. As always, I'm joined by Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin. And just a reminder, Make sure you reach out to our good friend, Herb Devine, 781-254-2846. You can also email Herb at situate.mortgageright.com. He and his team are available to help you anytime, including nights and weekends. If you're looking to refinance, if you're looking to get into a program to purchase your first home, if you're looking to sell and move on to your next home, Herb's been in the business 25 years. He can help you out. Give him a call, shoot him an email, set up an appointment, and he will take care of the rest. Again, that is 781 781- 254-2846, or you can email Herb at situate.mortgageright.com. Do it today. It's the best decision you'll make when it comes to the real estate process. All right, gentlemen, we're going to shift gears here now. I'm going to talk uh, New England Showcase. Of course, the New England Showcase took place last Monday and Tuesday, and we've talked a lot about it at anyfootballjournal.com. Of course, it is the brainchild of Avon Old Farms coach John Hooley, and I had Coach Hooley on with me a couple of weeks ago. He talked about how he came up with the idea. Look, this event was a success in year one. It was 10 times more successful this year. You had over 100 coaches between the two days that attended Connecticut workouts and Massachusetts workouts. You had, I think, you had almost 150 programs in between the three levels of college football that, that were able to get out and watch these kids work out. It was a tremendous event. My hat goes off to John Hooley and and the coaches, the coaches of all the programs that participated. Because while this was kind of the John's idea and John's the one that got the ball rolling, I think that the coaches at all these other programs have done a tremendous job. But to me, I think this is now becoming a national event, right? Because I think when, when Greg McElroy of ESPN comments on it, when Kirk Herbstreit of ESPN comments on it, it's a big deal. And, and particularly with Herbstreit, because this is a guy who has an NFL platform. He's the voice of college football. Like, this is a guy who's a big voice in the business. And for him to comment and tweet out how great an event this is for New England high school football, I, I think it, it validates the event 
even more. Just some thoughts on the two days and and thoughts on the two workouts you attended. Um, so I was I was at the St. Sebastian's one. I would say there are like fifty to seventy coaches there, and every I put this in the story every um, every Power Five conference was represented. So there there were coaches from Pac-12, the Big 12, the Big 10, the ACC, the SEC. Everybody had somebody there. Um, it's just I was stunned because I never thought we'd see something like that here. Like I can't remember the last time for like a single if you're if you're counting it as a single event. Has there ever been a single event in Massachusetts that has been like that? I can't think of it. You know, I mean, I I feel like in like pre two thousand, a lot of the stuff was word of mouth, and so and there wasn't obvious, you know, there wasn't an event like this, and now like it's just so great because I remember, you know, even ten years ago, thinking you Massachusetts kids and Connecticut kids would sort of fall through the cracks. And go unnoticed, and there was an exposure problem in Massachusetts. Well, there's not anymore. I, I can't, I can't think of how you could say that there's an exposure problem in Massachusetts. And more schools are taking the rein with this and and, and going with uh, stuff like this. You're going to see it with some of the public schools too. And I just think it's so great because look, the way I see it now is with the transfer portal. There are fewer spots available to some of these kids now um, because teams are filling up on the transfer portal and not getting as many high school kids. So you need every opportunity around to, to get noticed. And I think kids are getting that opportunity. And I don't think, like I said, I don't, I don't think there's an exposure problem here anymore. The, the, the exposure is here. You know, you're in front of big time coaches here in the spring. And it's just a great thing to see, and I just uh, applaud everybody who put it together. Yeah, Adam, you nailed it. Um, I was at Texas Southfield, and talking to their head coach, Casey Day, um, two things really stood out. The first, you know, he was talking about, and you mentioned, you know, word of mouth with these type of things. And getting the word out, he spent countless hours, as did every coach involved, um, you know, getting the word out across the country. And more importantly, college coaches answered. Um, like you said, when I was at Texas Southfield, every single big school that you can really think of, for the most part, was represented um, somehow, some way. And then, you know, a kid like Dom Sylvia, um, talking to him after it, he said, if you had told me, you know, a year ago, I'd be working out in front of Michigan and Penn State and stuff like that, I would have said you were crazy. So these kids absolutely appreciate it. Um, and some of them have earned the right, you know, to get looked at by huge schools. But the other thing that stands out in talking to Casey Day was they're expecting this to just grow um, over the next five, 10 years. Um, this very well could be a national event that sort of started in Massachusetts. And, you know, look, I know Texas and Florida and um, all these hotbeds, they have all their own stuff. But for New England, you know, this thing could go to New Hampshire. This thing can go to Vermont or Maine or Rhode Island um, and really just kind of turn into something. Um, that was grassrooted here. So, um, like you guys said, credit to all the coaches. Um, the kids are thrilled with it. They're getting more eyes on them, which is obviously more important. And selfishly, for our purposes, I love covering this thing. 
Um, but also, again, it just it helps the exposure of everybody involved with Massachusetts football. Yeah, well, I, I, I think it helps everybody involved with Connecticut and Massachusetts. I mean, Connecticut, in many ways, it was it was much bigger in Connecticut than it was in Massachusetts. And we did it. We did try to get people down there to cover in Connecticut. Unfortunately, we didn't have any luck. But I mean, it, it was huge in Connecticut last Monday. I mean, you had over 100 coaches. They, they, you had over 120 programs, I think, that that traveled the state starting in the morning all, all the way until they came into Massachusetts to attend the last workout of the day at Springfield Central. I mean, I, for me, I think, look, when you look at Connecticut, right, for example, just think of all the top 300 type kids that are in Connecticut right now playing in these private school programs. you got Dante Reno, who's a South Carolina commit at quarterback. Ryan Puglisi out of Avon Old Farms, who's a Georgia commit, who's, by the way, going to keep that commitment despite the fact that the Riola kid committed to Georgia last Monday. Puglisi has been on record as saying he's going to stay committed to Georgia. You got Benedict Ume, who is another kid who's got a ton of offers, and he's only getting more offers. You got the Smith brothers at Cheshire. Reno also is at Cheshire. I mean, there's just so much talent in Connecticut right now. And all those guys got an opportunity to showcase what they can do on Monday. And, and there was a bunch of guys. Look at Will Black, for example. Will Black went from a kid that had a handful of offers, okay, to now he's pushing 20 offers. Like, it's one of those things where I don't think people realize the power of this event because, yeah, a bunch of those guys already had a bunch of offers. You know, Kevin, you mentioned – you were at Dexter Southfield. Liam Andrews had over 20 offers already. But for a kid like Will Black, who's a big 6'7", 300-pound offensive lineman, this is a good opportunity for a kid like him, who's already on the radar and got some offers, to now pick up another 5, 10, maybe even 15 offers. I mean, he, he was already on the rise going into last weekend, and then, I mean, his stock went up even more. So, I mean, again... I think it was a home run in Connecticut. I think it was a great event in Massachusetts. I was at Milton Academy. I don't know if I would say there were 60 or 70 coaches there, but there were certainly 30 to 40 coaches anyway. Um, a bunch of Big Ten schools were there. They were represented. Uh, a bunch of local schools, Stonehill, Merrimack, UNH, UMass. They were all there. BC was there. I got a chance to talk to our good friend Jason Tundren. Um, so it, it was a great event, and Milton Academy is a lot of good talent that's going to be recruitable talent that some of these kids already have offers and they're going to pick up even more offers as we get through the summer here. But Adam, I thought you brought up a, a good point and I think it's a good talking point. And that's the transfer portal. The transfer portal has changed the name of the game. And these kids need to get in front of college coaches. Now the high school kids, they need to get in front of college coaches now more than ever, because the reality is they need to have that one moment where they could pop and get their attention because they may not be able to do that beyond an event like this. You know, I was talking to the Milton Academy kids and they all said to me, you could go to one of these camps, these mega camps where there's a thousand kids and you could slip through the cracks. You're not going to get noticed here. You go through the drills, you go through the workout and there's 40, 50 coaches that are waiting to talk to you after you're done working out. It's so much better for a kid to get that individual one-on-one -on -one attention than it would be if they were at one of these giant 500 to 1,000 kid camps. So 
in this era of the portal, where a lot of college coaches, and we're seeing it in the area, right? In this era of the portal, where a lot of college coaches are opting to go via the portal to try to upgrade their roster, events like this are going to become even more and more important for kids. Yeah, I mean, if you look at um, – see, uh, the way I look at it is we're still in the very beginning stages of how schools use the portal to help recruit. But, you know, if you look at, say, somebody like UMass, UMass was living in the portal. And they didn't, have been since Brown's been there, yeah. Yeah, and and um, and they didn't they didn't really sign that many guys out of high school. And I think you're going to start to see that more and more when schools say, all right, why am I going to recruit this freshman when I can get a junior and he can get on the field right away? Maybe, you know, like most schools right now still sign a lot of high school kids. But I think if, if some schools are successful at signing a lot of portal guys and then a small group of high school kids, then that might become the norm. We don't know. You know, we don't know exactly how it's going to pan out, but that could be the way it goes, in which case, you know, it's it's more and more important to get in front of guys. I mean, you know, I just feel like, you know, you, you want to sign as many high school kids as you want, but some, some people might be more like UMass and, and just go through the portal. So um, it's – we don't know which way it's going to go because it's still early. But you really want to be prepared for that. And when a lot of times that, – that's why things like these are great because a lot of times coaches will come looking for that kid who already has 25 offers, but they might notice his teammate who is somebody that they want to offer instead and, uh, you know, add it to the, the list of guys that, that get offered. So um, I think it's really important to see how this tracks out going forward. And, John, to your Connecticut point – uh, I was talking to Coach Chesney at the, the Dexter Southfield one, and the first thing he said to me was, man, you should have been at Avon Old Farms. Um, just kind of the size of it, and he called it the main event, I think it was. Um, so just to that point, and then my question about this whole thing, do you guys think the public schools get on board? Because if they do, then this thing blows up. I know Andover is going to have one um, this week, I believe, but if if more publics start doing this, well, then now we're on to something. Well, that well, Williston, Northampton had another one tonight, and there were some public yeah. schools that participated in it tonight. Again, we tried to get someone out there to cover it. It's it's not that easy, folks. We want to be at these things, we want to cover them, but unfortunately, getting getting freelancers to be able to get out and cover these things is not that easy. Specifically, when you're talking further away. All that being said, they had an event tonight. You mentioned Andover last week. Methuen did a pro day for quarterback Drew Eason on Wednesday, again, I, I think a lot of it will depend on the MIA and what are some of the restrictions. I, I know this, if the MIA, if the RIIL, some of these other, the Maine's Principal Association, the New Hampshire governing body, if these governing bodies allow schools to have these showcases, they will. Now look, and this is not a knock on the publics by any means, I'm a public school guy. You're not going to have the same turnout. The other thing is, one of the issues that I think public schools are going to run into is the guys that you're showcasing need to be available because this is this is the month that college coaches are on the road that they can get out and see kids. They're not gonna they're not gonna be coming around in June or July. There's restrictions. So if you're the public schools, 
it's great that you can do this, but you're going to have to find a day and a time that works for these kids that, that have aspirations of playing in college, that works for these kids, that works for these coaches to get them out in front of these coaches. So, yes, I do think you'll see more publics on board. Minishog was at tonight's event. Obviously, Springfield Central has participated the last couple of years. Wachusett last year had Tucker McDonald. You're going to see more and more public schools doing it. But the reality is those kids are going to need to make themselves available during this time period so the college coaches can see them. I mean, look, look at the, the, the Catholic Conference, right? Look at how much talent there is in the Catholic Conference. I mean, you talk about somebody who should be showcasing their kids. It should be those schools. I mean, between Zavarian, CM, BC High, and the prep, there's there's a lot of talent there amongst those schools. Never mind St. John Shrewsbury and Malden Catholic might have some kids. So, yeah, to answer your original question, Kevin, I do think you're going to see more schools get involved with it, but I, I think a lot of it will also depend on what restrictions are in place and do they have enough talent to draw the college coaches? And again, I don't think you're going to get the numbers you get in Connecticut and Massachusetts with the private schools, but I still think you're going to get a high turnout of coaches, particularly D2 and 3 coaches. Yeah, I think um... – I talked to uh, some people that were there and they were talking about Gerby Lambert from Catholic Memorial. You know, I think with an event like that, the key to it is having at least one big time recruit that draws everybody in and everybody wants to watch. But like I said, that big recruits there, but then you have five or six other guys who may be a level or two down from that that are also worth recruiting and getting looks from these D1 and D2 schools. Um, but yeah, like if you, if you, if, if you have five kids and none of them is a division one kid, you're not going to get the same, but I guarantee you if, if this, if they had a thing at Catholic Memorial and Gerby Lambert is there and then they're going to see, Oh, I like this Brandon Sullivan kid too. It, it, it has the same effect. It just depends on where you are. Yeah, I know. I agree. And Sullivan, you bring up a great point with Sullivan. Sullivan's a kid that already has offers, but now all of a sudden you get 20, 30, 40 power five and group of five coaches on that field to watch him work out. Now all of a sudden, just like Will Black, who plays at Joe Rosemary, all of a sudden now he might end up picking up an additional five, 10, 15 offers. So again, I, I, I do think we're going to trend in that direction. I mean, I, I think if you want to do it the right way with the public schools, which you should do, especially in Massachusetts and Connecticut, Connecticut has leagues as well, but in these two States, which are going to produce the highest number of recruitable talent, you should probably do it by league, right? So, you know, the MVC can do one night, the Hockamock league can do another night, the base State league can do another night. And you just do a, a showcase where you bring in as many kids as possible and it's one-stop shopping. And by the way, just as a final point about the New England Showcase, you know, I got an opportunity to talk to a bunch of the college coaches that were there, and they keep coming back to the same thing as to why it's such an impactful two-day event. One, it's one-stop shopping. You hate using that term, but it is. And, and I spoke to four or five coaches who all said the same thing to me. What makes this a great event is, is that there's someone there for everyone. There's someone there for everyone, and you get a chance to get in front of the kids 
and you get a chance to watch him work out and you get a chance to build a relationship with him. And I think ultimately that's what's so big about this is that it is an opportunity for not only for the kids to showcase themselves, but for these colleges to also develop a relationship with the kids. I, I, I think it's, it's huge. Uh, speaking of college football, real quick, some big local news on the last week, former Boston college guard, Finn Durston, who played his high school football at Lawrence Academy. Uh, Finn has decided to use his last year of eligibility to play in the SEC. He announced he is going to be transferring to Texas A&M to play for the coach who recruited him to Boston College, Steve Adazio. Of course, Adazio is the offensive line coach at Texas A&M. Are you surprised there? Durston had a lot of interest. There were about another six or seven schools that had offered him. Are you surprised? that he ultimately chose Texas A&M. And just as a side note, as far as we know, UMass did not offer him. He took an unofficial visit there. He was there the day we were there on April 1st when we did our spring visit with the Minutemen. But as far as we know, they didn't extend an offer. But Durston did have six or seven other offers. Surprised he's going to A&M. I'm not that surprised because once a school like that jumps in the mix, they're probably going to be one of the favorites to to get them. Because, I mean, Texas A&M has tons of resources. Um, they play in the SEC. You'll be playing in front of packed houses every Saturday. The and, and playing at an SEC school is such a draw to so many of these kids that it's a hard opportunity to pass up now. Is he going to start? I don't know. Like, I don't know what his situation is. But it's hard to turn down the SEC, and Texas A&M is a big-time program. Hope he, hope he does well there. Yeah, no, I wasn't surprised either. Um, for me, it just goes back to familiarity when you're in the portal. You know, Steve Adazio's there. If, if you have a guy who you've known for that long that wants you again and you got one more year left, well, you go with what you know, right? So – um, it's probably a good move for him just from a comfortability factor. And Adam, you mentioned it. We have no idea how much he's going to play, if he's going to start, whatever. But at the very least, walking into camp, he's got some familiarity already. Yeah, I, I, I think you bring up a great point, Stone, and that that matters. That matters. It's why Tyler Martin ultimately opted to come back home, leave Arizona. He wanted to play closer to home, closer to family. But he also wanted to play for Don Brown, someone who recruited him at Michigan and someone who he committed to. So for me, I think that that's a much bigger part of this than people think. There's no question. And I'm sure there was NIL money involved. And I'm sure the allure of playing in the SEC obviously piqued his interest and, and was probably a big reason why he made the decision to commit to Texas A&M. But make no mistake about it, his relationship with Adazio or Adazio recruiting him to Boston College, factored into this. There's a level of comfort there. Josh DeBerry, another former Boston College Eagle, also committed to Texas A&M earlier this offseason. So I, I do think that there is a level of comfort there, and I do think that that matters in this process. Okay, And I know that a lot of UMass fans were chapped on Twitter last week about the fact that he opted to go to Texas A&M over go to UMass. Again, as far as we know, UMass didn't offer him anything. That's not to say they didn't, but as far as we know, they weren't one of the schools that offered him anything. He did take an unofficial visit. There were a handful of other schools that offered him scholarships. Ultimately, he picked Texas A&M. But to me, yes, 
I agree with the faithful out in Amherst that if he goes to UMass, he he probably is a guaranteed to start and play right away. He is going to have to compete for snaps in AM. They return the majority of their offensive line back. But all that being said, I still think he can get on the field at AM. And Adazio knows him. And when you're the offensive line coach, especially when you're a veteran line coach, you have a lot of latitude when it comes to personnel decisions and who plays and who doesn't. I'm sure that Adazio, along with Jimbo Fisher, of course, those are the two final voices as to who plays and who starts up front. Trust me when I tell you, Finn Durston will be in the mix. He didn't go there if he didn't think he was going to play. And contrary to what some people said to me on Twitter, so you had a problem with him going to Texas A&M, but you also wanted him to come play at your school. So when he said he wasn't going to come play at your school, well, now he's not going to play at A&M. Come on, knock it off, okay? He he could have started here. We don't know if he's going to start at A&M, but again, I, I think he finds his way on the field at some point, especially because you guys know how it is. I mean, injuries are a part of the game. I'm sure that at some point, if nothing else, guy in front of him gets banged up. He'll get reps. He'll play at some point. Question is, does he play more than he would have played at a UMass? Probably not. He probably starts at a UMass, but again, to your point, Adam, right, the SEC is is a powerful allure, and you cannot hold that against the kid when no. he makes a decision to go play at Texas A&M. To get a chance to play at Kyle Field, to get a chance to play in front of 80,000-plus pretty much every week, if not every other week, that's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Either way you look at it, I don't, I, I don't know if Durston is a draftable prospect. I think he ends up going to an NFL camp. Anyway, I'm not sure he's draftable. You never know. Depends on what kind of year he has. As I always say with the draft, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But make no mistake about it. He did what he thought was best for him. Having Adazio there obviously made the decision a little easier. And again, I will say this to UMass fans. Just because he didn't end up coming to UMass doesn't mean he can't play at AM. And again, his relationship with Adazio mattered. Tyler Martin, I use him as the example. Jerry Roberts, another Arizona transfer who came out to UMass. These two guys played for Brown in Arizona. His relationship with them mattered and was a big reason why they decided to come east and play for UMass. And speaking of UMass, they picked up another big commitment, Coastal Carolina cornerback Gerard Cameron, who has four years of eligibility, three-star recruit out of St. Thomas Aquinas in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Uh, announced at the end of last week that he was transferring to UMass. UMass already has a deep and talented secondary. This is another young, talented corner who's got good length at 5'11 and change, plays at about a buck 85, but he can play outside. He can also play in the slot. He's a nice young matchup piece for Don Brown. UMass, again, continues to become a popular destination for defensive players who want to turn around their fortunes. Yeah, I mean – I don't think – I think I think UMass will be okay on defense. Like, I, I, I think they'll be close to they'll – be, they'll be close to what you want on defense. I think that they're, they're, they're going to be okay. Where I think they would love to get more help is on the offensive line, and that's where the Durston thing kind of hurts. Yeah, he would have helped them immensely. Yeah, Um they, I think they got to get better there at certain spots. And I think they just got to get better on offense, period. So any offensive player that they can get through the portal is welcome. You know, so uh, that's, a, that's where I think they stand with that. 
Yeah, just to go back to Durston real quick, I think UMass fans are probably most butthurt because they felt like most kids that UMass is going Bummed out, bummed out. (laughs) Fine. Uh, But most people that Don Brown has tried to go get, and again, we don't know every kid that he's tried to recruit. There's probably thousands that we don't know about. But every kid seemingly that he's tried to go get has ended up coming here for the last two years or so. Um, and again, that's not to say everybody, but a lot of people want to play for Don Brown. So when a kid says no, UMass fans aren't really used to hearing it yet because, again, the whole new era thing, um, they think it's all going to be puppies and rainbows right away, and it's just not. So um, they need to cope with being told no. Yeah, and again, we don't know if he was actually offered a scholarship to yeah. UMass. I mean, we were there again. We were there on April 1st when he was on his unofficial visit. He seemed interested. He walked around, had some good conversations with Coach Miller and people around the program. But, again, we don't know if he was actually offered anything. So maybe after that unofficial visit, maybe Coach Brown and his staff felt, all right, maybe he didn't seem interested. Or maybe they got the sense that he was going to look at other options and that him coming to UMass wasn't a slam dunk. Maybe they also looked at it from the standpoint of, well, why don't we hold off on offering him and let's see what we can do with whatever remaining scholarships we have with guys that might have more than one year. That's the other thing that people don't realize here sometimes. He has one year of eligibility. Unless you're getting an elite-level talent or you're getting an elite-level talent at a marquee position like, let's say, quarterback, a lot of these coaches, especially if you're Don Brown and you're trying to build a program, you don't want to use a scholarship on a guy that has one year of eligibility. Unless he's the guy, can be the guy as a total dude that's going to turn your fortunes around in one year, you're not going to use that scholarship on a guy with one year of eligibility. You want to use it on a guy that has multiple years of eligibility so that you can get him into your program, develop him, and then have him pay some some dividends down the road. guy like Gerard Cameron is that kind of guy. So that's the other part of this that I think gets lost on people when it comes to the portal. The guys that have one year left, unless you're an elite-level dude at a position of significance, quarterback, cornerback, left tackle, I'll even throw in wide receiver, unless you're an impact player at one of those positions, maybe an edge guy on defense, No, a lot of teams are going to probably opt, if they can, to go with the guys that have more eligibility. All right, real quick, the league wrapped up yesterday. Adam, you were there for the championship game. It's another uh, good spring for John Pappas. Mike Willie and 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 uh, the the crew that runs the league four week season, it all ended yesterday with I believe it was the Junkyard Dogs that won the championship. Adam, just some thoughts on uh, what you saw in yesterday's championship game. I have a funny feeling you're going to be talking about one individual in particular. I will be. Um, that's kind of funny. The Junkyard Dogs was like seventy five percent BB and N players. And I've seen a lot of BBN over the last year. So I covered them a lot uh, in the fall and I covered them the other day. So um, honestly, like it's so fun watching Bo McCormick run the football, man. He is so good. Uh, he, he's like, he, he, he gets so fast downhill as soon as he gets, get gets the ball and he'll just bounce off guys. And he's really hard to bring down with one player. He's super fast in the open field. He's already got the Nebraska offer, which is a good one. But I would expect he'll get more going forward because he's so good. 
He's fast. He's flexible. He's uh, he's he's just an exceptional runner with the ball in his hands. He also can catch the ball too. Um, and they almost threw, threw like a flea fic- flicker yesterday, so he, he can throw it. So he can throw it. He can run it. All that stuff. Um, but he's just a great player, and he dominated this spring. And I think he's going into his junior year at BBNN, and he will just only get more offers, I think. He's just a tremendous player, one of the best backs in the state. Adam, I know you know I did it last year. You did it this year. I'm curious if you feel the same way. I ultimately think this thing will grow. Um, again, it's only year two. Do you ultimately think for what? Year three, that's right. Yeah. Um, year two of this, us covering it. Yes. Do you think this thing grows – um, not only here, but just within more states. You know, I know a kid like Tiger Ann came down from New Hampshire. Um, he immediately reminded me of um, Mike Tolbert when I saw him. You know, yeah. those kind of kids who just might not get looked at a lot in New England, kind of going back to our showcase conversation. Do you think this thing grows like I do? Yeah, I think it does grow. It'll grow in states like Massachusetts that don't have spring football. Um, I think. I mean, Connecticut's got spring football, so I don't think it'll necessarily start there. But in Massachusetts, there's so many kids that could benefit from this. Um, And it's a lot of fun. Like, look, more than anything, it was fun for these kids to get out there, get out in full pads and play hard and just play full tackle football. Uh, So they had a lot of fun with it. And I think in that respect, it is going to spread. Yeah, I, I think it will grow as long as public school coaches buy into it. Uh, I, I think that that's a big part of this. I think you've got two two issues with the public school coaches, in my opinion. Okay, one is injuries. They, if if you care about football as a public school coach, you're not necessarily going to have a problem with your guys playing in the league, because if nothing else, it's it's valuable experience for them. It's more reps. It's more that they can put on tape for them. But I think that you're concerned about them staying healthy because the last thing you need is to have your your starting running back get hurt playing in a spring league and then you lose him either for a portion of your season or the entire season, okay? I think the other issue here is, and, and I'm not saying that this goes on, I'm simply, in the past, I've spoken to public school coaches that have expressed this to me, that they're concerned that, if they allow, or if their guys, it's not even about them allowing them. If the kid wants to play, he's going to play. But their concern is if their players play in the league, does this make them vulnerable to losing players to, to private schools that are the schools that predominantly make most of the rosters in the league? Uh, I think, I do think that for some public school coaches, that is a concern. Now, do, do I think that, the people involved in the league, that's their goal, to, to use the league to recruit kids? No, I don't. Uh, you know, I we all know Mike Willie. We all know he's – we all know what kind of guy Mike Willie is. Mike would never use this. If a kid wants to go to BBNN, look, Mike will be the first one to tell you, we have to recruit to survive. But Mike's not going to use the league to recruit. However, if a kid says to Mike, hey, I want to go play at BBNN, well, I mean, Mike's got an obligation to BBNN. That's his employer. That's who he works for. He has to have that conversation with the kid and talk to the kid about what BBNN can do for them. So 
Do I think the league can grow? Yes. But I do think that there's going to need to continue to be more comfort with it from public school coaches. And I think that there needs to be more comfort from those coaches in regards to the league being a way for their players to improve, not necessarily for their players to showcase themselves enough that they could leave and go somewhere else. I think that that's public school coaches are weary of those two things, but if they buy in, yeah, I think the league can definitely continue to grow because they can also promote it as a way to help kids um, put more on tape and make no mistake about it. Kirby smart talked about this and, I had Coach Pappas on last week, and we talked about this. The Northeast is at a disadvantage. You don't have legitimate spring ball here where coaches can interact with the kids and get down and see them and see them on the field playing football. You have that down south, and those schools and those kids do have an advantage. So I think the league, if nothing else, levels that playing field a little bit. So we'll see. Uh, Real quick, Stone, your renegades rolling again. Looks like they're going to win it all again. My renegades. Yeah, no, it's just, it's absurd at this point. Uh, I think the number is 264 to 31. They've outscored opponents so far this season. Uh, they have a bye week this week, two weeks, uh, two regular season games left. Yeah, no, we'll be doing another story about uh, them, you know, being at Joette and, and getting How a many, not to cut you off, how many games are they playing this year? Six? Yeah, it's six. Six, and then I believe two playoff games before the uh the title game in game. in Canton, Ohio. So um yeah no I will not be surprised if you know we're at Joette and they're getting on the team plane again in uh, about a month or so to head down to another championship. It's just there's domination and then there's what they're doing. So uh if you haven't seen them on a on a Saturday night, um I highly suggest going to that last home game. It's uh it's a quick game, yeah good family atmosphere. They have drinks there, they have food so uh, it's well, it's a very, very worthwhile product right now. Yeah, and the Massachusetts Pirates, speaking of spring football, talking a little arena football here, the Pirates bounce back with a big win on Saturday night at home over Quad City, coming off a really bad loss against Iowa the week before where they gave up over 70 points. They bounce back. And one thing that you could say about the Massachusetts Pirates, they're like death and taxes at home. It's like death, taxes, and the Pirates winning at home. They always find a way to bounce back. Quad City came into the game at 6-2. and two. They were pretty good. E.J. Hillier, their quarterback, one of the best in the IFL. Defense coming off arguably the worst performance in franchise history defensively. Bounces back with a nice performance against him. Offense, Anthony Russo, what a story he's been. He stepped in, former quarterback at Temple, steps in for the injured Alejandro Benefield, and he's been terrific for them this season. And to Kevin's point about watching a team play, you got to see the Pirates play. Arena football is a lot of fun. Tie scoring, fast pace. But here's the other reason why. You got a lot of guys that are playing in the IFL right now that you're going to end up seeing on XFL rosters, USFL rosters, and some guys find their way on NFL rosters. I mean, the league has a lot of talent. You also have a lot of guys that have had their shot that are still trying to keep their career going that are currently playing in the league. But if you haven't had a chance to see the Pirates, they got a couple of guys Thomas Owens, a wide receiver, one of the best receivers in the IFL. As I mentioned, Russo, I think he's a guy that could end up getting his shot. You might see him in an NFL camp this summer. And and, uh, Jimmy Robinson, the running back, is one of the best players in the league. He's explosive. He had another big night the other night. They have a lot of talent, and and they're a lot of fun to watch. Our Tony Catalina is going to be there on June 3rd to cover the Pirates in person. And, uh, you know, we, we preview each game each and every week. 
We try to get you as much Pirates content as we can. And uh, like I said, it's football. We're all football all the time. So uh, definitely get out there and check out the Pirates. So if you haven't, it's it's a great time. And to Kevin's point about the Renegades, it's a great family atmosphere. All right, gentlemen, any final thoughts? No, stick with us for uh, OTH coverage. It's coming. Yeah, Thursday, Kevin, you'll be there. So Kevin will have plenty on that. And uh, we'll have plenty of stuff this week on OTAs. We'll continue to keep you up to date on the recruiting front. Uh, We'll continue to keep you up to date on the college and high school front as well. Everett High School looking for a head football coach. I know that they posted it on the MIA website on Friday. So that'll be intriguing. We'll, We'll, anytime we get any information on that, as soon as that news comes out, uh, we'll make sure that we have plenty for you on that announcement as well whenever Everett names their next head football coach. So still plenty of football stuff to talk about here as we're inching closer to the football season. Well, that'll do it for this week's show. For Kevin Stone, Adam Kirchin, I'm John Serenitas. Till next week, peace. See you.